You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. chapter 12. As you're getting there, I, 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 by the time I'm done here serving here, you're going to know all of my deep, dark secrets uh, because I'm about to confess another one to you that some of you know if you've ever traveled with me, and that's that I'm directionally challenged. I mean, I'm severely <laughs> directionally challenged. Ask anyone who knows me, especially my family. I mean, for the longest time, I struggled to know the difference between my left and my right. This was like gold right here, you know, gold. I don't know if, you're, if you're looking at the L, it's your left. If it's inverted, it's right. You know, mind-blowing for me. I think I shared with you, we uh, took a family vacation this summer to New York City, which is where I'm from, by the way, and uh, took my family into Central Park and got us lost in Central Park. If not for the fact that my son does not have my disability, we would have probably still be there right now. So I'm serious. <laughs> when it comes to, any, to, to a sense of direction, I definitely have no internal compass. And I'm confessing this to you and sharing it with you because I can still remember the first time I was exposed to this, the invention of the GPS, the global positioning system. That was a life changer for me. I mean, having satellites hovering in the sky that make it possible for me to enter an address into a GPS-enabled map app, and I can receive instructions by voice or by written directions, even a tap on my Apple Watch saved my life. I'm serious. I mean, if I miss a turn, right, if I miss a turn, if I get momentarily distracted, or as I often do, just find myself a little bit lost, my GPS encourages me with the words recalculating (laughs) and eventually gets me back on track to my destination. This has saved me so much time in my life. I really am not kidding you, and so much stress. And and the thing is, you all know what I'm talking about because almost everyone I know uses a GPS these days or has one. You know, they're, they're like standardly built in our cars we have them on our phones. And the thing is, we, we've, come, we've become so accustomed to this technology, we just take directions from the GPS. We trust that, that vo- where that voice tells you to go, unless you're my wife who argues with it all the time that that's not the best way to go. But most of us trust that voice that tells us where to go. We follow those instructions that guide us in terms of the best way to reach our destinations. And I bring all this up Because long ago, long before the advent of such technology, followers of Jesus were given a built-in GPS. This GPS is not a system run by satellites. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been with us in a couple of weeks, we're in the midst of a sermon series designed to help us get to know this often forgotten member of the family of God better, the Holy Spirit. Last week, again, if you weren't with us or if you don't remember, we began to explore the role or central activities of the Holy Spirit. And together, we learned the Holy Spirit is the giver of life, that there is no life apart from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit both originates the life that we have and initiates and carries us into the everlasting life to come. But one thing that we really underscored last week, and it's important if you didn't get this, is that we also came to understand the work of the Spirit is not limited to an event completed in the past or to be completed in the future. The Holy Spirit, in other words, is about the ongoing and continuous giving of life. And it's this aspect 
of the work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit sustains or enhances our life, that's our focus this morning. And we're going to begin to consider this by listening to the words of the Apostle Paul from his letter, as you have it open, to the followers of Jesus in Rome, and in fact, from the 12th chapter. Now, if you just look down right at it, if you've got it open, in verse 1, you see that Paul uses the word therefore. And any time you see that word in the Bible, what comes next is because of what came before it. So let me set this up a little bit for you. Up to this point in the letter, for the first eight chapters, Paul has covered a lot of ground. He's explained our relationship to God before Christ, then the significance of the work of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection, and then concludes his presentation of the gospel in this letter with a rousing declaration of how every follower of Jesus has been freed from any bondage to sin and instead is able to walk in the power of the Spirit. And so chapter 12 marks a turning point in this letter. From here through the end of it, Paul teaches what it practically looks like to rely on the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And really, as you have it open to chapter 12, the first two verses express the foundation for living this kind of life. And so I'd like, as they're on the screen, as you look in your Bibles, I'm going to read these to you right now. Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're really savvy and you were were tracking as we read those verses, and if you're looking through the rest of the chapter, you might say, you know, I don't hear the Holy Spirit being mentioned anywhere in what Paul has written. And you're right. But even though the person of the Holy Spirit is not explicitly mentioned here, the work of the Spirit is implied through Paul's use of the word transform. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul does not call us to transform ourselves, you'll notice, but rather to be transformed. And the one who does the transforming is the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul admonishes us not to conform to the pattern of this world, not to let our lives be shaped by the external influences, expectations, and pressures that surround us all everywhere, that bombard us in a broken and chaotic world. But instead, Paul says, we are to be changed, not to change ourselves, but to be changed from within, be renewed by the person of the Holy Spirit who is in us. So with this in mind, we're going to do three things today in this message. First, we are going to survey the different aspects of our lives in which the Holy Spirit seeks to lead and guide us. Second, we're going to discover the foundational source or means for this leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we'll take away some practical understanding of what this leading and guidance looks like. It actually looks like and how it works. So let's begin. In what different ways does the Holy Spirit seek to lead and guide us? And when we look at this in Scripture... Scripture points to several different aspects of our lives where the Holy Spirit seeks to lead and guide us. And the first is the person of the Holy Spirit gives us our security and our confidence in Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us our security and our confidence in Christ. And this might be one we blow right past, but it's interesting to me because in my time as a pastor, I find, and it's very very 
I don't know what the word I want to use. It's just interesting or surprising to me that many of us in the church, many of us who call ourselves Christians, despite believing in Jesus, remain trapped in our past. We find ourselves still haunted by decisions we've made, things we've done or left undone, or stuff that's been done unto us. On our own, stuck in our own head and heart, we just can't get beyond being ashamed or being bitter feeling guilty, or feeling angry. For some of us in the church, these patterns of thought, these postures of feelings have become habits of living for us, perhaps even crippling addictions to which we're bound, you know, in that vicious cycle of repetition. We just just can't help ourselves from going back to those old tapes, from drinking again and again from that same well of poison water. And yet what you need to hear this morning, what we need to hear is the Holy Spirit seeks to enhance our lives, to transform them by repeatedly reminding us, continually instilling within us that we are forgiven by Jesus. That thanks to the cross of Christ, we are free from judgment, including and especially self-condemnation. The Bible, in fact, often speaks of this work as the assurance or seal of the Holy Spirit. Through the work of the Spirit, we can and we need to daily receive deep-seated peace and confidence, not only about our past, not only about our present, where we find ourselves today, but also about our future, whatever tomorrow will bring. So if you're sitting here and this is something that speaks to you, I want you to hear this, and I want you to not just hear it, but to receive it through the person of the Holy Spirit, that you don't have to live out of guilt and shame and regret. Who you have been is not who you shall become in Christ. You can break free. You can be free of the hurts and abuses and the wrongs done unto you. All your fear, all your uncertainty, all your worries about your life, this world, even the reality of death itself, if that hangs like a specter over you, need not hold you hostage or keep you paralyzed. Yeah, you and me, together, we're works in progress. We are. But our past does not determine our present or our future. And that's because the person of the Holy Spirit gives us our security and confidence in Christ. The second thing is the person of the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment. Wisdom and discernment. And this is, this is big, this is huge, because you know life, you live in it with me. We regularly confront, are confronted with choices. Opportunities and obstacles, right? Invitations and challenges. The outcome of which these decisions will determine and shape the course of our lives. And the Holy Spirit seeks to speak into these kinds of decisions helping us to process, providing counsel and insight, prompting us to follow the best path. By ourselves, we can be vulnerable to our own personal insanity. And you know what that is, right? Our own personal insanity, repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. On our own, we can be tempted. We can be easily influenced by misdirection, by the pull of personal pride, by the allure of self-rationalization and even self-justification. We can be tempted and easily influenced by the pressure of our peers. It's not a coincidence that one of Jesus' nicknames for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. In a world that frequently tells us truth is whatever we make it to be, 
The Holy Spirit counters this lie by teaching and reminding us what is true is not subjective, something we make up on our own. Truth is something we can learn and follow by being in Christ. And so the Spirit leads us into all truth by encouraging, sometimes provoking and often confronting us with not only what is wrong, but also what is right. The Spirit refocuses our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, even our actions, empowering us not only to do the right thing, but working within us the desire to want to do what's right. And the person of the Holy Spirit, to bring this home, gives us a purpose, gifts, and a calling. This, again, has been said many, many times, but I'm surprised at how how much it does not sink in within the faith. Your life, my life, our lives are not an accident. Each one of us here has been fearfully and wonderfully created by God for a reason. Another way of expressing this is God has a vision. God has a dream for your life. Our lives have been saved by Christ to glorify God through the fulfillment of that vision, that dream that the Lord has for each one of us. And that God-given purpose that I'm talking about is hardwired into how God made us through the natural abilities and talents that God has entrusted to you, through the unique personality traits which God instilled in you, through the distinctive passions the Lord kindles in you, the things you care about, the things that make your heart beat faster through the specific experiences that have shaped your life. And it's funny because lots of people I find, in terms of counseling them, coming alongside them as a pastor, struggle. They struggle to perceive and understand how all these things I've just mentioned, all these ingredients, their personality, their natural ability and talents, their passions, their life experiences, how all these things work together in any sort of meaningful and fruitful way. But think about it. Think about it for a second. The Lord wouldn't give us all these things, our inborn talents, our personalities, our passions, the experiences he's taken us through, and then not use them. The Holy Spirit unveils how all these different but interrelated strands come together to provide direction for our lives. In fact, one of the first things the Spirit does is helps us to embrace these aspects of ourselves. For many of us, the struggle is we don't want to embrace the gifts that we've been given. We don't see them as gifts. We don't like our personality or we don't like our natural talents or abilities. We're always asking, well, why not this? And why God, why that? Or we don't like the experiences we've been through. But the Holy Spirit continues to work in the midst of it to help us to not focus on those kind of questions that just take us nowhere, but instead to embrace who we are, who God has created us to be, our personality, our life experiences, our passions, our unique talents and abilities, so that we embrace them, so that we better focus our energy and our efforts productively, so that we can find contentment and satisfaction in what we're doing, so that our work, whatever it is, is not in vain, but actually can expand the grace, hope, and love of the kingdom of God. Pastor John just preached a a wonderful sermon series this, the end of this summer on work, this theology of work, and this ties into this work of the Spirit, making our work not simply meaningless, but meaningful. And it doesn't stop there. Not only this, not only does the Holy Spirit work through our natural gifts and talents, experiences, passions, and personality, but as Paul outlines here in chapter 12 and elsewhere, The Holy Spirit gives to each one of us particular gifts, what we often call spiritual gifts. 
Spiritual gifts being specifically for the benefit of sharing the gospel, fostering unity, promoting reconciliation, both within the community of faith and in the broader, wider world around us. Something that's also really, really important when we're talking about this to notice is that this work of the Holy Spirit to enhance and ultimately transform life is not just about the individual. Yes, it's personal. Through Christ, the Spirit of the living God lives in you and in me, working in you and in me to bring a new creation, our best and truest selves. But the work of the Spirit is also corporate. This same Holy Spirit is building and maturing the community of those who follow Jesus, the church, the body of Christ. And we can't miss how in this very same letter and elsewhere, Paul underscores this as well. So we can summarize everything that I've just talked about. We can summarize this work of the Holy Spirit to enhance and transform our lives this way. The Holy Spirit's work in the accomplishment of our salvation is not only leading us to Christ, but also reproducing us in his image. Not only leading us to Christ, but transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is working to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. You will see Paul, you will see Peter, you will see John speak this way over and over again in their writings in the New Testament. In fact, Paul explicitly in another one of his letters, the second one to the Corinthians puts it this way. Look at this. And all of us have had that veil, the life of sin, our former life removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of God. And get this, as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him, like Jesus, and reflect his glory even more more. The words of Paul. All of these encouragements that Paul offers here in Romans 12, I don't know if you've ever caught this before, so if you go beyond the sections that we've looked at, the start, and then we looked at the gifts and the body, and then all the, the different encouragements Paul gives, you know, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, don't make yourself better than everybody else, think more highly of yourself, all these things that Paul says through the rest of 12, I don't know if you've ever caught this before, but all of these encouragements about how to think, about how to speak, about how to act, how to engage with each other, they're the way Jesus walked and talked and lived while on this earth. So this is, again, Paul just saying, we are to become like the person of Christ. We are to have the character of Christ formed within us. And it's so important you hear how Paul says this, and I've just said it, because many of us read Romans 12 as, okay, here it is, here's the things. All, love what is evil, cling to what is good. All these things, is a, we've got to do it, we've got to make it happen. Here's our laundry list, here's, all the, here's the checklist, here's where we're getting graded. But we make a mistake if we read Paul's words here in Romans 12 as being primarily about self-effort, us trying hard to be like Jesus. Good luck with that. No, what Paul describes here, and that's how you can, we can access it, is the kind of person we can be through yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and letting the character of Christ be formed in us. But I know many of you will say, I say it, you know, I've looked in the mirror recently, I don't look much like Jesus. And the thing is, and I, I think we miss this as well, Paul and Peter and John, the other New Testament writers, never talk about this as being some kind of instantaneous change. We're not made sinless and completely Christ-like overnight. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. We are works in progress. Daily renewal 
This daily renewal of the Spirit, this work of transformation, doesn't mean that every day or every moment in our lives is perfect. No. Dying to our old, broken selves, learning how to rise, to be resurrected, to grow and mature to our new, full self in Christ, takes time. It is a moment-by-moment daily process. And that's why Paul, in yet another letter, his letter to the Galatians, talks about what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. And again, if you remember that description of the fruit of the Spirit, we all, again, make this into a checklist. Okay, do I got, do I, it's like a grocery list. Do I have all this? Do I got, if you didn't get it, you know, then something's wrong. And Paul, in giving us the fruit of the Spirit, is giving us a picture, not of things that we have to pick up, but instead the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul understands it, is the blossoming of the character of Christ in and through us. And I don't know if you've ever planted uh, a fruit tree or something like that before, but you know when you plant a fruit tree, I have a lime tree. When I first planted it, it didn't grow very many limes, and the limes that it grew were very, very small, and they weren't all that juicy. But now, many years later, I got more limes than I know what to do with. They're huge, and they're packed with juice. This work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us takes time, and we have all the time we need not to have to pull ourselves up, not to have to do it ourselves, but to simply lean in to the work of the Spirit forming the character of Christ in us. But that leads us to this question, how does this work? How does the Holy Spirit lead and guide us? And early on in my relationship with the Holy Spirit, honestly, the answer to this question, I thought it worked something like this. You guys all familiar with this? It's an old toy. It's not a, for playing pool. It's the magic eight ball. Seriously, I, the way I understood it or the way I, you know, I kind of perceived how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us was that I'd throw out a question or a concern to the Holy Spirit looking for a little guidance or direction and then I'd wait to be shaken up a bit and then I'd receive a sign, an answer, and normally it was like this. Reply hazy, try again later. Honestly, you know, I think my reason for thinking about the Holy Spirit like this, and I didn't literally think of an eight ball, just to be clear about everybody here, but the thinking of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us in this way is because I was, and maybe you have been too, I was a victim of a lot of instruction about the Holy Spirit that may have sounded good, but really turned, to, turned out to be truly bad and frankly dangerous theology. I was encouraged to recognize early on in my Christian walk the leading of the Holy Spirit by just trusting and following my heart. Just trust and follow your heart and you will know that the Holy Spirit is leading you. It's very Disney, right? But here's the thing. As I actually studied the Bible more, I couldn't help but notice something, and it's this. As I studied the Bible more, I couldn't help but notice the scriptures tell us over and over again that our hearts are not only not reliable conducts of the, conduits of the Holy Spirit, they're not reliable conduits of anything. The prophet Jeremiah even just wrote it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things. Another variation, by the way, of this kind of advice I was given was expressed this way. You can recognize the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit once you receive a peace in your heart. Yeah, I don't know about you, but despite having a peace in my heart, I've still ended up making some stupid, regrettable decisions that were definitely not of the Holy Spirit. And come to think of it, just saying, didn't Eve and then later Adam have a peace in their hearts about eating the forbidden fruit that the serpent gave to them? I don't remember Eve and Adam going, oh, I don't really feel good about this. 
No, it was pleasing to their eye, and they had a peace in their hearts as they ate what basically ruined all of humanity, right? So that ain't going to work. The other gauge, and I know you've heard this one that I was taught early on for recognizing the Spirit's leading, was this one. It's what I often refer to as the open-door policy. The gist is the Holy Spirit opens the doors that the Holy Spirit wants us to go through and closes the ones we're not supposed to go through. And that that sounds fantastic. I mean, that's easy, it's simple. Open door, Holy Spirit. Closed door, not Holy Spirit. But as great as this sounds and as accessible it is as it may be, this too proves to be an unbiblical and therefore unreliable assessment of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I mean, again, I'm just saying... After all, the door to run to Tarshish was wide open for Jonah when he didn't want to answer the Lord's call to go to Nineveh, right? When the Lord said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, he didn't turn around to go to Tarshish and find a door that was closed. It was wide open and he ran through it. And how did that work out for him? I don't think any of us would argue the Spirit was leading Jonah through that open door. No, Sometimes there are open doors in our lives that we are not meant to go through. And sometimes there are doors closed in our lives that the Spirit is calling us to open. Okay, so I've just kind of blown many, many, so great, just take it all apart, blow it up. So if all of that's wrong, then how does the Holy Spirit lead and guide us? And the answer that I'm going to give you is not really all that exciting or as dynamic or as wow, as imaginative, as open doors, peace in your heart and all that stuff. It's this simple, but this true. The answer of how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us is the word of God. Jesus clearly stated the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our reminder, our encourager, But Jesus also clearly stated the source material for the counsel and direction of the Holy Spirit is always the Word of God, specifically but not limited to the Word made flesh, the character and commands of Christ. Think of it this way. A GPS can only function if it has a map, right, of the area it needs to navigate. Just as a GPS uses maps to give us direction, The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to provide guidance. Because the Bible is God's roadmap for life. Jesus, as the word made flesh, reflects, that's part of Jesus' coming, he reflects the perfection of humanity as God intended. You want to know what your best, truest, full self looks like? Look to Jesus. That's it. So therefore, how Jesus lived, how Jesus worked, how Jesus engaged others, how he communed with the Father, how he faced persecution, abuse, even death, that's what the Holy Spirit points to, to lead and guide us. That's who the Holy Spirit says to follow in order to live our lives in a way that is pure, right, and good. Another way of saying this, and this is so important to hear because we often do the opposite, is the Word of God and the Spirit of God are inseparable from each other. They're inseparable from each other. And yet, some in the church seek to experience the Spirit apart from the Word. But apart from the Word of God, we see and we hear what we want to see and hear. And this not only leads to a lot of confusion, it leads to disaster. But the inseparability of the Word of God and the Spirit of God applies the other way as well. Some of us know the Word of God. We know it backwards and forwards. We can quote it left and right. And yet we know the Word of God without any interaction or dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And this 
leads us to a lifeless, rote, and dull spouting of verses about God rather than an active relationship with God. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is very, very interesting that when Jesus goes into the wilderness, it's a battle of scripture, is it not? The devil knows his Bible well and the devil is quoting the Bible at Jesus and Jesus is quoting the Bible right back. What's the difference between the two people quoting the Bible to each other is Jesus is filled with the spirit and Satan is not. And Satan is able to take the word of God apart from the spirit and to try to make it say things that it doesn't say. The Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law, they knew their scriptures well. And they go toe-to-toe with Jesus. And how does Jesus continually push back in the midst of them quoting scripture back to Jesus? He says, yes, you can quote scripture very, very well. You know what it says, but you don't live by the spirit of what it says. This is what the prophets say to Israel. Israel's like, what, what, what's up with you, God? Why are you so upset? We're doing exactly what you told us. Here's what you said. Here's what we're doing. And the prophets repeatedly say, yes, you can quote back to me what I said, but you're not living according to the spirit of what I said. The word of God and the spirit of God are inseparable from each other. For those of us who know our Bibles apart from the spirit of God, at best, we can find ourselves practicing a mechanical obedience, doing what we believe we're supposed to do to satisfy God, but not ever really living for the Lord, doing what we're called to do because we want to draw closer to his presence, to know Christ more intimately. And many of you, and I'm gonna say this, I don't know who, but I'm telling you, I've, I've encountered too many people in the church, this is your understanding that you do what you do. You've been raised to obey God. You will come for counsel and go, isn't this what the Bible says? Isn't this what I'm supposed to do? Isn't this what God expects of me? And I, I, I try to reframe it for you that you've got it all wrong. Because again, when we simply know the Bible without the spirit of God, when we just try to obey God without the spirit of God, as I said last week, we become a robot. And God doesn't want a robot. God wants a relationship. When we try to just know the Bible and quote it back and maybe hit people over the head with it without the Spirit of God, we're, we, we create a religion. And God didn't create a religion. He created a relationship. God doesn't just want your obedience. Yes, he wants you to do what he has called you to do, not so you can make him happy. He wants you to do what he's called you to do because you realize it's what's going to make you happy. It's what's best for you. God wants you And that is why he's not only given us his word, but the person of his Holy Spirit. And therefore, and this hits hard, understand this, there really can be no true, sincere obedience to the word of God apart from the spirit of God. And we see this. While we're forgiven, we can't live out of that forgiveness apart from the Holy Spirit. I see this dichotomy all the time in the church. People who are like, oh yeah, I believe I have, my sins have been forgiven by Christ. I believe I'm forgiven, but I am not forgiving that SOB in my life who did that to me. I am never going to forgive them for that. You can know, you can believe you're forgiven, but you're not living out of that forgiveness because you may know what the word of God says, but you are not letting the spirit of the living God live through that word in you. We can't overcome sin without the Holy Spirit. We can, and that's where why when we hear all of these things about what our life should look like, we're like, oh, I suck, I suck, I'm not doing it, I'm not trying harder, I gotta do more, and it's wrong, and it doesn't make you feel any better. You don't grow and mature. You beat yourself up. You say, I can't do this, because yes, you are trying to live out the word of God without the spirit of God, and you cannot. 
And then there are many who, oh, I just, if I could just know the will of God in my life and I want to know the Spirit because I want to know the will of God, the most reliable guide to the will of God is the Word of God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God working in tandem together. The Word through the Spirit is clear, unchanging in revealing the specific shape and general direction our lives are to take. And the Holy Spirit makes the word of God come alive in us. All the while protecting us from playing what I like to call Bible lottery. You ever played Bible lottery before? It's very popular in the church. That's where you take a Bible or on your phone and you just open up to a specific page or a page just happens to open up and you point to a scripture and go, oh, that's clearly a word for me. The Lord has given me a word. No, uh uh-uh. And the ultimate sign that this is wrong is because, and, and this is rampant, because the Lord has given you a word. God will never give you a word from this book that doesn't mean the same thing to everyone else that it means to you. When all of a sudden you are saying, oh, this scripture means this for me, but it doesn't possibly mean this that to anybody else, you are not reading the word of God according to the spirit. You are reading the word of God according to another spirit, and it's probably yourself. And this is the thing, the spirit of God The Holy Spirit works through us. It makes the word of God come alive with us, protecting us by using our God-given intellect to explain that meaning, the meaning of that word for us in the context of what it means for all people. And then in explaining to us, not just what it means to us, what we want it to mean, but what it means to us and to all people, then the Spirit through that work offers us personal insight applies that word to our questions, our doubts, and our plans, and then empowers us to follow the wisdom and direction of that word. So what I'm saying to you this morning is if you want to hear the Spirit, and so many people, I don't hear the Holy Spirit. I've never heard the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's never led or directed me. If you want to be led and directed by the Spirit, open your Bible. Read it. Not a devotional about the Bible. Read it, study it, know it, because here's the thing. The more scripture you know, the more illumination the Holy Spirit can give you. Early on when I was in my magic eight ball phase, yeah, you know what? This was just too hard, too much work, too much time. I much preferred it was just easier, open door, closed door. And the thing is, I never, could, I never felt any assurance, and as much as I tried to tell myself, I had a peace in my heart that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. But when I, I got a hunger, when I, I, I let that hunger be satisfied, and in my regular time in the Word of God, it's amazing. Not only has all of a sudden this book that once was boring and hard to me, and it's still challenging, suddenly I can't get enough of this. I have to have this. But not only is it feeding me, but it's amazing that the Spirit working in concert, not only in my time in the Word, but then when I walk away and I am facing the things that I have day-to-day going on in my, on in my life, and I am seeking direction, when I am seeking wisdom, all of a sudden... God's word rises up within me and the spirit speaks. If you want to know the spirit, if you want to hear the spirit, then you've got to download the word of God into your life. That map, into your mind, into your heart, into your memory. You have to make it a part of who you are. Because here it is. We don't know the spirit of God any more than we know the word of God. And the opposite is true. We don't know the word of God any more than we know the spirit of God. And that brings us to this, the closing part of this, which is some practical understanding of what this looks like, what this leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God actually looks like and how it works. And right from the get-go, let me tell you this, and don't let anybody else tell you different, 
Biblically, you search the scriptures, there is no standard detailed prescription or formula for how the Holy Spirit guides and directs our lives. You're not going to find a chapter, a letter, where it's like step one, step two, step three, step four. There is not a detailed prescription or formula in the scriptures. But as we read the scriptures, as we look at how the person of the Holy Spirit moves through the scriptures, there is a basic pattern or model we witness. A basic pattern or model. So what, what, and in my study of the scriptures, this is what I've discovered. This is what I've learned. Rooted again in the word of God, the Holy Spirit leads and guides us through three interconnected ways. First, through our circumstances, as that slide comes up on the screen. The Holy Spirit leads us through our circumstances. The Holy Spirit leads us through an awareness of where we are and who we are with. And that means you can't walk through life being uh, lacking reflection, self-reflection. You have to be aware of where God has placed you. You have to be aware of the people God's put around you because the Holy Spirit speaks through the immediacy of our circumstances. The Holy Spirit speaks also through other Christians. That's why Christian community is so important. We need followers of Jesus who are as committed to abiding in the word and the spirit as we are, that we can share life with, that we can process with, that we can talk, that we can not just say, just, you know, just try to, 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 like again, make it into a formula with the Holy Spirit, but talk about how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, how the Holy Spirit is meeting us through Scripture. And the Holy Spirit leads and guides us through our circumstances, other Christians, but also through prayer. And when I say prayer, I don't mean what we often do in terms of prayer. When I say that the Holy Spirit leads and guides us through prayer, I don't mean showing up and saying, hey, Jesus, how's it going? I got a list. How much time you got? I don't mean prayer being a catalog of our needs. By all means, we can and we should bring our needs to God. But what I'm talking about when I say the Holy Spirit leads and guides us through prayer, I'm talking about not a catalog of needs, but a dialogue with a person, the, a conversation with the Spirit. And that conversation isn't drawn out of abstraction. You know, hands in the pocket. What should we talk about? I don't know. What do you think? But a conversation that comes out of, again, having your Bible open. Being once again in the word. And here's the thing. It's not any one of these things by themselves from what I can see in scripture or in my own life. It's all three of these things, not separate, but in concert with each other. Affirming each other and pointing in the same direction. And this is a place to start to understand how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. This is a basic pattern. But something else important that we need to realize is there are different kinds of decisions we can make in life, and we need to recognize that the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit isn't the same for each of those kinds of decisions. There are three basic decisions that we make in life, in my opinion. First are matters of right and wrong, matters of righteousness. These are choices related to God's rules for life, decisions that are either right or wrong. In these kind of matters, the direction of the Word and the Spirit is singular. It's convicting, and it is absolute right or wrong. But then there are decisions that are matters of good judgment. And what that means is that these are choices that are not necessarily a matter of right and wrong, but they are choices where one decision may be better or wiser than another. And, you know, a situation where it's not necessarily right or wrong, this is a good decision, but this could also be a good decision. This seems like it's a better decision. And the Holy Spirit, the Word and the Spirit in those kind of instances prompts us, nudges us, but ultimately you'll find you'll be left with a sense of possibility and freedom in making a decision. You can choose this, or you can choose that, or you could choose this. And then there are finally, as it says, trivial matters, which means exactly what it says. There are decisions about things of little consequence. 
like what socks to put on or where to park your car. And outside of a truly extraordinary situation, the Holy Spirit isn't really looking to give you any direction on what clothes to wear or where to park your car, despite what people often say. And again, I'm not removing extraordinary circumstances, but this really has to be an act of God here moment to realize the Holy Spirit cares about what color socks you put on or where you park your car. You know, the way I, for me, and it was very encouraging because it's, and again, it gets back to why we need to be in the word. What really helped me is I think for a long time, and part of why I was drawn to this, is my perception of this life we have in Christ, apart, again, ironically from being in the word, is that Peter and Paul and John and the rest of the people that we read about in the New Testament, they were having a vision or a word of knowledge a day from God. You know, they were just popping all over the place. And I'm here to tell you, the Holy Spirit wasn't incessantly speaking to them all the time. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit only occasionally led and directed them. Paul specifically states in his writings, his whole ministry was led by the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with that? It's this, and I know many of us aren't going to like it, but it is what it is. We just don't always get to immediately see or hear the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. We don't always get to immediately see or hear the, the guidance and leadership that the Holy Spirit is providing for us. I'll be honest with you. And, I don't, and this does not bother me because I, I, I believe it is scriptural. I can point to it. Most of my decisions have not come out of strong, mysterious urgings, tingly feelings, some bizarre chain of events, or various hunches or a string of coincidences. They haven't. Have I had those moments? Yes, but they're few and far between, which doesn't mean it's anything lacking on my part. From what I can see, this is the norm. So how do I know the Spirit is leading and guiding me? Because rooted in the Word, relying on the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, I just continue through the grace of God to obey the will of God by following Christ and trying to do what Jesus would do through the power of the Spirit within me, trusting that that same Spirit is guiding me just as Jesus promised. And the thing is, more often than not, I have perceived the work of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding my life by looking back in hindsight rather than in foresight. So I leave you with this. What if? What if instead of focusing on our ability to figure out the will of God for our life, and so many of us, you're haunted by this, right? What's the will of God for my life? I need to know the will of God for my life. What if instead of continuing to ask God what his will is for your life and waiting for that answer before you follow him, what if we acted as Paul encourages us, offering ourselves to God as living sacrifices for the pursuit of his will on earth? What if instead of trying to focus on our ability to figure out the will of God through the Holy Spirit, what if instead each one of us paid more attention to the word of God through the Holy Spirit, digging more deeply into the counsel and wisdom we have been given and thereby making the best decisions we can, confident that the delicate yet consistent and transformative work of the Holy Spirit is quietly taking place in and through us as we go. Trusting that if we need to be turned around from a wrong turn, if the trajectory of our lives needs to be recalculated, this same Holy Spirit won't be shy in letting us know. What if, relying on the word and spirit, we sought first the kingdom of heaven and trusted that everything else in our lives would fall into place along the way?
My friends, our choices matter. Our choices have consequences. Yes, we must each engage a level of responsiveness to this dynamic and transformative relationship we are offered by the Holy Spirit. But the good news, the gospel, is our spiritual life and well-being does not ultimately rise and fall on us. We do not. And we cannot muster up on our own the wisdom and or the will to overcome every challenge and obstacle in our lives. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. Only the Holy Spirit can sustain, can enhance, can transform our life in Christ. For the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not only breathes resurrection life in us when we die to sin and join us with Jesus in faith, the Holy Spirit is also the breath of our daily walk with Jesus, guiding us, directing us, and ultimately leading us into becoming the new creations we are, thanks to Jesus.